Welcome back to your Haunted Holiday. This is Lisa. And I'm Lindsay. And we have a scary one for everybody today. This is, I gotta say, probably one of the more popular haunted attractions. It's pretty well known. It's been on a lot of the different shows that are out there. Yeah, this is one of those that is not your typical cute haunted hotel, not your typical tour. This is a super scary place to investigate. Yes, this is one of those places that you're going to have some guts. And honestly, Lindsay, I feel like after we did Velisca Axe Murder House, like I'm about up for anything. I think I could do this one. Hey, I, I'm with you. I, I felt uh, brave at Velisca. And so <laughs> I, I, I'm getting the courage to do maybe something like this. Absolutely. So this is your haunted holiday at the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in Weston, West Virginia. All right, Lindsay. So this is a lunatic asylum, and this is really one of the more haunted places, and it is very well known. They do tours. We're going to get into the tour options that they have, but this place really does business around the paranormal. That is what they are all about. So let me ask you, and hopefully you came across this in your research. If not, that's okay. This is kind of a random question. What makes it a lunatic asylum compared to just your typical asylum? I think there's multiple different types of asylums. I mean, we did talk about the Rolling Hills Asylum, and some of that was for, you know, people that were just poor, sometimes crazy. This one was really meant to help the mentally ill, people with mental illnesses. And it started all the way back in 1858, and it took about 20 years to build. This is a huge, huge place. So, you know, what I will say about this, and you know, you think of lunatic asylums, and I think back to like all these horror movies and just these crazy doctors, and it's just this horrible place. But it started out with wonderful intentions, actually. Back in the day, like the 1700s, 1600s, people that had mental illness were like locked up in prisons and jails. Right. A lot of times they were chained to brick walls. I mean, it was just a really inhumane treatment. And as the years went on, people started, you know, kind of looking at this a little bit differently. Like, you know, these people have mental illnesses. Is there a way that we can maybe help them in a different way? And in particular, there was a doctor named Kirkbride, and he was one of the big reformers. And he came up with this idea to build these asylums where, you know, let's have a lot of sunlight. Let's make it really airy so they can, you know, have a breeze. And not only that, let's make sure they have plenty of places to, you know, kind of freely roam around the property, that kind of thing. And it was originally built for 250 people. So this is a big place, mm -hmm. but everybody was intended to, you know, have their own rooms. And it really started out with wonderful intentions and was doing great things. I know that we did, you know, the Rolling Hills Asylum and they also had a good intentions 
initially, but it is so sad to look back in history and see how we treated folks that really just needed some assistance. It's so unfortunate to think about it and, and really horrifying if you really try to put yourself in their shoes. Right. And the reality is, you know, it did start out great. You know, people were getting some decent care. Back in those days, though, there there wasn't really any drugs that, that could help somebody with a lot of these ailments. And eventually, over time, going back all the way to the 1880s, so not that long after it was built, people started getting diagnosed with mental illness for, you know, some minor little things more and more often and put into these asylums. So what ended up happening is it eventually got super overcrowded. And so rather than just one person in a room, they would have four to five people in a room. Mm -hmm. And by the 1950s, remember, initially it was supposed to have 250 people in it total it grew to 2,600 patients. Oh my gosh. Yes, so extremely overcrowded. Can you even imagine what that would be like, right? Right. You know, on top of the overcrowdedness, as time went on, there developed a lot of different therapies that looking back on it was really inhumane. You think about electroshock therapy. There was also hydrotherapy where they're basically like putting people in like burning hot water, trying to get them to disassociate from whatever this mental illness is. But the big one, they did all of those at Trans-Allegheny, but the big one that they did was lobotomies. Mm. Now, there was a doctor back in the 50s that was very well known for lobotomies, and he was considered a pioneer. And in fact, like, this was actually pretty popular science at the time. They thought they could cure insanity with these lobotomies, but it wasn't like they were going and doing these test trials. No, it was just some people came up with this idea and they decided like look we can cure insanity we can do 10 people at a time over the course of an hour it's this super easy thing and what they started doing is what kind of got coined as the ice pick lobotomy oh my gosh you know what i think of when you say that is that movie one flew over the cuckoo's nest yes i mean it's in so many movies and actually recently Lindsay, we were talking about a new show that's out called ratchet and right. it, oddly enough, is based in a lunatic asylum back in, like, the 50s. And they talk about these ice pick lobotomies in particular. So, oddly enough, like, the timing was ripe because I was just watching that show. And what they do, like, is they basically take a thin rod that is very similar to an ice pick. They lift up your eyelid and insert this rod like above your eye in your eye socket. Mm -hmm. And then they use a hammer. And what that does is they're basically separating your frontal lobe from the rest of your brain. So you're like, once you're done with this, you're almost like disassociating all these things. Like you don't have normal feelings. You know, there were people that had this and they would do it for almost anything, Lindsay. Not just mm-hmm. insanity, not just severe things. One lady went because she would have severe headaches. And this doctor, Freeman, was like, oh, I can definitely cure you of these mm-hmm. headaches. And she got a lobotomy, 
could not even function afterwards. Could, didn't know how to bathe, didn't know how to do dishes. Like her life was basically ruined. So not right. only did it ruin people's lives, but it also killed people. You know, a lot of people died as a result of this right. procedure. You know what's so strange? I was just in this training course and maybe I'm totally off. I'm obviously not in the medical field, but somehow the brain came up and uh, we were talking about the frontal lobe and how it really controls like your personality, your emotions. And, and so it would make a lot of sense that if they separate that, it would completely change someone's personality, not for the better. That's, I, I just, it's shocking to think that this was a real procedure that they did to people. It was, and they would do, this doctor in particular did thousands of them and he, he traveled the country. He was regularly at Trans-Allegheny. So hundreds of lobotomies, uh, you know, in addition to these other horrific treatments were performed here. So, ugh, just crazy. Right. Again, I'm glad I didn't live back then and have some minor ailment. Lisa, this is an ongoing theme of our show. <laughs> like the, thank goodness we didn't live back then. We totally would have probably been killed in Salem being, you know, they would have said we were witches or something ridiculous like that. Or, you know, just some of that we talked about the different torture techniques they used in like at the tower of London in the, in a previous episode. Yeah, Lisa, we're very lucky. Now just think about years from now, what they're going to say about our time. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. Now, by the 1980s, the building was getting deteriorated. Some newspapers went in and did some investigative reports to figure out what was going on there. It was still extremely overcrowded. They found that there was just grime all over everything. People were sleeping on the floor in unheated rooms. Um, it had really deteriorated significantly. And the worst thing was for the severely mentally ill patients, what they would do because of overcrowding is actually lock them in cages in the main areas. That way they would have more space for the other people in the asylum. Oh my gosh. So it developed a pretty bad reputation in the 80s. And the state decided they were going to build a brand new asylum, and that resulted in it closing in 1994. Oh my gosh. I, I thought you were going to say this thing closed in like 1982 or, or, you know, even that's too late. That's not that long ago. It's not. Isn't that wild that people were like sleeping on the floor in, in cages in this place in like the 1990s? Oh my gosh. That's shocking to me totally crazy we don't really know how many people have died there we will talk about a couple different potential murders one that definitely happened that's particularly horrific in the next segment here and we don't know how many people exactly died now there are graveyards that are there on the premises and there are approximately 2100 graves at this location and these are really from people that whose families didn't pick up the bodies or claim the bodies. Maybe they didn't have family out there, that kind of thing. So at a low number, 2,100, and we don't really know how many people beyond that passed away at this location. Wait, so we think about 2,100 people died. Is that what you just said? Well, there's 2,100 graves 
at this location. And those are the graves of people whose families did not claim the bodies of people who passed away there. So at the low end of the spectrum, it's going to be around 2100. But we really have no idea, even in approximation, how many people passed away here. Whoa. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to tell you, this place is haunted. We know that all of you love the paranormal and hearing all about ghosts and haunted locations, but guess what? The worst monsters are real, and we want to take a few minutes to talk to you about one of our favorite podcasts, Sword and Scale. Yeah, that's right. Lisa actually introduced me to the show because, as you all know, we also love true crime, and we definitely venture into that topic from time to time on our show. Like we say, murder and tragedy tends to lead to ghosts. Sword and Scale is the longest standing true crime podcast that combines 911 calls and interrogation audio that helps tell terrifying stories of true crime. Every episode is truly fascinating, but at times can be shocking, which I oddly enjoy. You know, one of my favorite episodes, Lindsay, is one where a woman is describing her escape from a serial killer, and it is just completely shocking, but it's also just one of those things that you cannot stop listening to. It just pulls me in every time. Agreed. So what I love about this show, Sword and Scale, is the fact that they bring in audio clips and then that alongside the really amazing storytelling by the host, Mike Boudet, brings you into the story. To me, it's a game changer having those audio clips of the victims, the suspects, 911 calls, which can be so frustrating to listen to, but also scary. Oh my gosh, those 911 calls. Those give me chills. You think you get chills on this show, everybody. You're going to get chills listening to some 911 audio. It's a different kind of scary, that's for sure, but we all love it. So Sword and Scale is available bi-weekly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe today and leave them a review. That's Sword and Scale also available at swordandscale.com. Subscribe today and give it a listen. Sword and Scale, proving that the worst monsters are real. Now back to the show. Now, one of the theories that surrounds this place is what they call the stone tape theory. Now, the building itself is one of the largest buildings in the world that is made of sandstone, which is heavy in quartz, and they say that that can kind of hold energy into a location. So especially when we're thinking about some of the horrific conditions and things that have happened here over the years, they think that part of the reason that this is particularly haunted is because of that sandstone that is really kind of housing all of that energy and has collected it over the years, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting theory. I've heard of that before. And so it's almost like it's replaying. It's it's what would we would call like a residual haunting, but maybe even more, it's more strong because of the stones and stuff that are around, right? Yeah, it's just kind of like accentuating it maybe right. a little bit more than it typically would. That That's, that's the theory. The, yeah, that's the theory. And I mean, there could definitely be some credence to that. I mean, we talk about the Stanley and the limestone that surrounds that. I mean, there's a lot of places like this. 
Now, some of the basic things that you want to look for, I mean, this whole place is haunted, okay? Like, you know, we're going to go into some specific locations here, but just generally speaking, you are going to hear a lot of voices. When I was watching different television shows and my research on this, every single one of them had some sort of voice that said something or some sort of creepy giggle or person oh. laughing, like... That happened in every single episode, okay? So that's terrifying. A giggle. Lots of giggles. Not just a little bit of giggles. Like, they were everywhere. And these are a place. Let me be clear, too. These are adult giggles. It's a combination. Some of them are adult. Some of them are children. Honestly, that's maybe even scarier. I don't know. I don't know. Yes. Now, sometimes the voices are not only giggling, but they might even be more ominous. At this location, I will say they have some ghosts that they deem friendly, and then they have ghosts that are a little bit more nefarious, okay? They'll, they might say, go away. You'll also hear screaming, which I think if we're talking about insanity, people that are mm-hmm. you know not in the right mental state, that could, I think, cause a lot of that, as well as sobbing noises I I think goes to that too which is sad now you will also potentially see full-bodied apparitions throughout the location as well as footsteps shadow people and the shadow people here Lindsay are known to crawl now their most popular ghost Lindsay is actually a friendly ghost and it's a little child named Lily they believe there's several different theories about where Lily came from. One of the theories is that she was dropped off by her parents. Nobody could find her parents, so she just kind of lived out her days there. The more popular theory for Lily, though, is that she was actually born there to one of the patients. One of the patients had arrived, already pregnant, was born at the location, and ended up just kind of living her life there but unfortunately she died at a young age they think maybe around the age of nine of pneumonia nobody's entirely positive about this a lot of this information came from different psychics that have been to the location that have picked up on a little girl named lily so there's nothing necessarily in the records on this okay gotcha There is a room that is dedicated to Lily. There is a lot of toys in this room. I know something that creeps you out. You will hear her giggle quite a bit, I suppose. And she will interact with the toys. And a lot of people say that she actually will remember people that have been there before. Because there's a lot of people that will go back to this location over and over and over again because... They found it so intriguing, and they will have numerous interactions with this lily. Huh. That's pretty cool. Very cool. Now, there's another person here that is not as nice, and her name is Ruth. And supposedly, she hates men. And she will poke them, prod them, and occasionally might even shove somebody against the wall. Now, do they think Ruth was a patient or a nurse or... They they believe Ruth is a patient. Now, there is a nurse that they think is also haunting this location. And, Lindsay, there is probably hundreds of ghosts here and a lot of them have different names. And I'm going through some of the main ones, but there's way more than I could 
even possibly cover. So the nurse that they think is haunting this location is named Elizabeth, and she is actually in the third floor nurse's station. And to me, Lindsay, Elizabeth kind of sounds a little bit more like a residual haunting because she seems to be kind of going around and doing her daily tasks. So for this one, it's more of like an actual full-bodied apparition that you'll just kind of see moving throughout that section of the asylum. One of the stories of potential murder, and I was not able to validate this particular story, but it doesn't surprise me. I I mean, I believe that this is totally possible in a place like this. In Ward 2 of the building, there is supposedly where a patient was stabbed 17 times by another resident that was living there. And so in this particular section, apparently you will just hear screaming because that patient was just kind of left for dead and wasn't found until it was too late, hours later. And so in that particular section, you want to listen for screams. Right. I I mean, especially with the overcrowding, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some violence. Well, there is a story that I can say is a fact that is really violent and disturbing, okay? And it wasn't actually that long ago. So in the 1980s, there was a resident there named Dean. Dean had what they kind of described as a very childlike mind. He was very friendly for the most part, but could occasionally have like a violent outburst. But, Mm -hmm. you know, he was just a very nice person, generally speaking. But because of these violent outbursts, apparently he got put into a room with two other violent patients there. And so it was the three of them in this room together And the other two patients decided that basically they decided to torture him, okay? Oh, no. They took a bed sheet. They wrapped it around his throat. They threw the sheet over a pipe that was on the ceiling. And what they would do is they would raise him up, like hanging him, essentially, wait for him to pass out, and then lower him to the ground to allow him to wake up, and then raise him back up again. And they would do this over and over again, just torturing this poor guy. And eventually they decided that they were done kind of messing with him, I Mm -hmm. guess. And what they did is, you know, you could imagine in these asylums, they have those metal beds, right? Mm -hmm. And so they picked up the bed and they put the leg of the metal bedpost on his head and proceeded to stomp on the bed and jump on it until it actually broke his skull. That's horrible. Really horrific. I mean, tragedy leads to hauntings. These kinds of things, this is what, what happens. And there's probably more things like that that occurred, unfortunately, there. That we just don't have record of, but this one was pretty recent. Right. Now, the other thing I will say, so Dean is haunting this location. There's a specific room there that they consider the bedpost room where this incident happened. Dean is very prevalent there. He will sometimes interact. You might see Dean, that kind of thing. But the other thing that really creeped me out is apparently one of the killers of Dean actually just recently died 
not that long ago, mm. within the last several years. And they think that this killer is now also in this room, like coming back to visit from time to time because they've seen just shortly after this killer died, like a black figure in that room. And so they're wondering because the timing just kind of fits. Right, how weird. Why on earth would he come back to that room when it's been so long? He's probably done other terrible things, but I guess we don't really know how the afterlife works either, right? And maybe he's just coming back for a visit. Who knows? Yeah, very strange. So a couple other things that are, from a paranormal perspective, a little bit disturbing. Let's see, we've talked about giggling and footsteps and all of that is creepy. But to me, I think the most creepy thing is when you actually will get like touched by something, right? Or scratched. That That is the more terrifying experience. So there is a room there called the stretcher room. It's just kind of a small area that has a bunch of stretchers in it and cots and stuff like that from back mm-hmm. in the day. One of the volunteer tour guides was actually in the middle of a tour had gone into that room with her tour group and started to feel a tug on her shirt. All of a sudden, she gets pulled fully to the ground, starts screaming. This is in front of people, Lindsay. There's multiple witnesses and proceeds to get dragged out of the room. Oh, that's, that's terrifying. And the people on the tour, Lindsay, had to literally jump on top of her in order to keep her from continuing to get dragged. No. Uh, yeah, I would be hesitant to go in there. Yes. Very scary. I feel scary. like all of my terrified energy would make it that much more likely that something terrible like that would happen to me. Yeah. <laughs> that is like my worst nightmare kind of scenario right and, there. And, and in watching some of the shows, you know, they really think that they feed off that energy, especially on the fourth floor. They think that there are spirits up there that will intentionally scare people. Like they kind of enjoy that. Mm-hmm. They have regular paranormal tours coming through this place. Like they are trying to pick on people to say, oh, let's scare this person. So Lindsay, you would be like number one on their list probably to drag across the floor. (laughs) Don't even say that. Like, now I cannot go there. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, the... I I just can't think of anything more scary. I I can't either. But, so there is one other incident that I want to talk about. And the fourth floor in particular, like I said, is probably considered the scariest, most haunted place in this main building. And... You know, one person there that was also a tour guide started experiencing burning scratches that they could actually see, like, welting up on her. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, like, that's that uncommon, although scary. I would rather have a scratch than get dragged across the floor. Totally. But the other thing that's scary is this tour guide and other people there are claiming to see what they describe as almost like a blob, like a black blob that hovers around the ceiling and on occasion they will see tentacles coming from it almost like an octopus or something what how weird that's a new one 
That's a new one for us. It is a new one. So it's either an octopus ghost, which I feel like the odds of that are small. <laughs> but, you know, octopus are pretty intelligent, right? <laughs> they are. Or, but, I mean, yeah, I agree. Or it's just yeah, like an be. evil thing that has taken a very scary, monstrous form. Yeah. I don't know. That's very odd. This is Lisa, and are you ready to embark on the adventure of a lifetime? You've heard me delve into the world of haunted travel, exploring eerie locations, and uncovering spine-chilling tales. And now I'm thrilled to announce the launch of something very special to me, which is my own travel agency, brought to you by Your Haunted Holiday. As our listeners know, I'm not just passionate about haunted travel, I live and breathe it. From researching the most haunted destinations to planning unforgettable journeys, I'm here to make your travel dreams a reality. Whether you're seeking the thrill of a haunted location or craving a getaway to somewhere a little less spine-tangling, I've got you covered. And here's the best part, my services are absolutely free. Let me put my travel skills to good use by helping you plan the perfect escape. Simply visit yourhauntedholiday.com and click on the Travel Agency by Lisa link at the top of the page in the menu. So where will your next adventure take you? Let's make it a journey you'll never forget. Contact Your Haunted Holiday Travel Agency today and let's start planning. Your adventure awaits. So like I said, Lindsay, this place really thrives on the paranormal. They have a ton of different tour options. So if you happen to be in the area of Weston, West Virginia, you must go check this place out. The paranormal tours are year round. They do have some other historical tours that are much more limited in the seasons. So, some of the different options. There is a two-hour tour, which is guided. That is about $40. There is also a 90-minute daytime guided tour, which is only $35, which I think is a good one. And by the way, all of these that I'm listing are paranormal-related. So, they're going to give you the scoop on the ghosts. Mm-hmm. They also seasonally have what they call flashlight tours, which are 30 minutes, typically around Halloween time, of course. More affordable. It's only about $10 to get in. Now, most of the year, they also offer an eight-hour overnight tour, okay? And this goes until like 6 a.m. So you're going to be up all night. You are not sleeping. You need to get your rest ahead of time. This right. is $100 a person. Oh, wow. That's so reasonable for something like this. I agree. Now, it does not sound like they provide equipment. So you're probably going to want to bring your own, you know, if you have a K2 meter spirit box, that kind of thing, you're going to want to bring that with you. Now, in October, the time is a little bit shorter because they also have a haunted house there. Okay. That is specific for Halloween. So their paranormal overnight tours are broken down to six hours because you have to start that tour after the haunted house is officially closed for the night. So it's bumped Mm -hmm. back a little bit. And again, it's just a hundred dollars for that six hour tour. 
I did think it was cool to highlight that they do have a haunted house going on this year. Masks are required. They're still doing social distancing, but it looks like it is open. And I really think a haunted house at a place like this for Halloween would like take it to the next level. I mean, you could do some crazy stuff. Oh, because you, you know, you're going to have the jump scare, the typical haunted house stuff, but then... Who knows if a ghost is going right. to roll up on you randomly, I, right? <laughs> I feel like that could be part of the act, too. You know what I mean? Like, wouldn't it be 100%. cool to, like, mess with people's heads and be an actor and be, like, in their face doing your normal whatever it is and then all of a sudden be like, oh, my gosh, something just pulled me, you know, or something like that and, like, yeah. pretend like a ghost is attacking you? Like, that might really freak See, people out. See, that is way scarier to me than some, you know, dude jumping out. They also offer what is called, this sounds fun, zombie paintball during Halloween. Now, it has been canceled in 2020, so look for that to come back next year, but the haunted house is open. What is zombie paintball? Is this just you shoot people dressed up as zombies, I imagine, right? I think so, and it's like a whole course, and you get so many rounds of paintballs and... I mean, it, it sounds like a lot of fun. Wow. So if, if you're in the West Virginia area around Halloween, sounds like this is the place to be. Yes. Or year round for any of those those tour options that they have. Because you can get anywhere from like a 90 minute tour all the way to an eight hour tour any time of year, which is really cool. And, and here's the other thing is, you know, those daytime tours you're still possibly going to come across ghosts. I, I don't think there's anything stopping them from showing up during the day. I mean, our first encounter was during daylight. Yes, 100%. Most of our encounters are during daylight. I agree. Okay, so that sounds like a great place. So if you're in the area, go check out the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Okay, so before we end the show today, we have another segment that we do from time to time. And we actually had quite a bit of uh, chatter after our episode last week out of Port Townsend, Washington. We covered the Manresa Castle and we had several people reach out that had actually been there and had some really cool stories for us. So the first one comes from Roulette, who has sent us some other messages in the past, some other really interesting stories and great recommendations. And so she says she went there. She said she really didn't know anything about the place. She just thought it was cool. So she walked around to take pictures. And there was a back hall that I almost couldn't bring myself to walk down. And when I went in the room, I felt such sorrow. We've heard about people feeling emotions attached to haunted locations. So that's interesting that she had that happen. She says, then I walked into the biggest room and saw a priest looking sadly at the bed. And I said to him, are you staying in here? Can I take a pic? And he freaked out and yelled at me to leave, then disappeared. I ran out of there so fast. And one of the workers came out and asked me to write in their book about my experience. That's a really amazing experience. That is really, really cool. I mean, she saw a full body apparition that interacted with her. Absolutely. So clearly not residual, kind of like we were saying in the previous episode, it would make a ton of sense that she would see someone who looked like a priest. What a great experience. I love that. Okay. So this next one's, this next one's from Rachel and both of these were on our Facebook page. They commented on our posts that we usually do every week. Um, She says, as a paranormal investigator many years ago, I've investigated this location 
It's a beautiful place to visit and is steeped in history as you have shared in your podcast. I've experienced glasses moving in the dining room and chairs moving, which is what we talked about in our show. Um, she says, I was actually on the second floor where I was staying and experienced an overwhelming sense of sadness. Again, left- wait, I just I want know. to pause you because that's the same thing that Roulette experienced. It's it's so interesting. I know in our, um, it's episode two when we covered the Sorrel Weed House. You know, I talked about how skeptical I am about that kind of thing, but I'm open to the possibility. I just have never had that happen. But what are the odds? I mean, right? they're both coinciding at the same place. The two people that happen to comment on it experience the same thing. Yeah. Which, I mean, I think is some validation. Exactly. Exactly. So Rachel said, goes on to say, it made no sense and I had to leave the hall. I was walking down. Once I made it to my room, I was fine. I've had that happen to me twice while staying there. Enjoy it if you make it to the Pacific Northwest. Port Townsend is chock full of ghosts, is what she says. So thank you guys so much. They commented on our Facebook. You can find us and follow us on there. We also received one more item about the Manorosa Castle. It sounds like it was a kind of a popular episode. And this comes from someone on our Apple reviews. So they gave us a five star. Thank you so much. You guys, if you're listening and you enjoy the show, please give us a five-star review and make a comment. We love it. We love reading them. Um, this person says, I'm from the Seattle area, and I'm so excited to hear an episode from Washington State. She says, my husband and I stayed in the Tower Suite at the Manresa Castle in 2008, hoping to see or hear something creepy, but absolutely nothing happened. Despite that, it's a really cool place to stay in the quaint seaside town of Port Townsend. Thank you so much for leaving that comment. You know, that's the thing. It's like whale watching. You just do not know if you're going to experience anything or not. Yep, totally. I really appreciate all the comments that we got on that episode. I thought that was so cool that people really did have some cool stuff there. And not only that, but it's been confirmed that it's a nice place to vacation. 100%. And that's a big piece of what we do every week. All right. So if you guys want to reach out, send us a suggestion for an episode, send us information just about your stay at one of these haunted locations or any ghost story that you have in general. We, we love to hear it and we might read it out towards the end of the show. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Um, you can also find us at yourhauntedholiday.com and you can hit the contact us link and it will send us an email. So please respond, send us something. Uh, We love getting that stuff and we're pretty responsive. All right. Thank you guys and have a great week. Stay healthy and safe, everybody.